Welcome back to the Dead Ball area. This week, I want to talk about England versus the Barbarians and some of the stuff that jumped out at me from the game. Now, I learned a long time ago not to get too excited about these fixtures. I think that often national side is either way too strong for the Barbarians or so weak that they end up getting walloped. But despite getting a pumping last year, I think England, for the most part, got this fixture right. At 51-43, did the game end up living up to its hype? To a degree, I guess it did. And sure, there's plenty of loose, unstructured play, but it was absolutely clear that both teams had come with the intention of winning and enjoying themselves on the way. Personally, I think it really showed how difficult it is to get a team connecting in such a short space of time, even when club units are used. For example, the Northampton 8-9 combination of Harrison and Mitchell was used for much of the game, and it worked really well. But there's still a lot of what-ifs out there around how Mitchell connected with Smith and Smith connected with Williams and so on. From an England point of view, it was awesome to see some of the young premiership talent working together and putting their hands up in a World Cup year. Marcus Smith may have got man of the match, but I think you could have looked at a number of players in the England squad. Don Brandt was an obvious standout, as was Martin and Mitchell, I think, and I thought Harrison was fantastic, leading things really well from the front. Now, I know Bowman was captain, but Harrison seemed to really step into a leadership role on the pitch, and I think that's something we maybe haven't seen before from him Uh, in an England shirt when he was in the senior squad. Hammersley also caught the eye, I thought, filling a role that for a large part took the pressure off of Marcus Smith, and we'll come back to that in a bit. Something else that really interested me was how simple both teams played it, and that's understandable for teams with little preparation behind them, but the game produced 13 tries, some of them gimmies, some of them directly from a highlights reel, and I think that showed both teams' intent to move the ball and play attacking rugby. But I don't think rugby needs to be complicated to be attacking. If you can identify space and move the ball into it, then, you know, opportunities will arise. And I think we saw that. I think it also shows us that many teams have similar structure in this day and age because the game had a fair amount of very, very familiar structure about it. Occasionally it would break down. For example, early on we saw both Webb and Dombrand get isolated and turned over. And there were slight miscommunications here and there when a runner overshot a pass, as we saw with Bassett's first try when Atkins overshot an overcooked pass. These kind of mistakes are to be expected, and it resulted in 37 turnovers. As a comparison, that's 11 more than Wales versus England in the Six Nations. And that, in turn, led to some lovely transitional rugby, as both teams worked hard to switch from defence to attack and vice versa. Something I found interesting is how England tried to take the pressure of Smith at 10. We often saw Hammersley slot into first receive and Smith would move a channel out or hang behind. Hammersley is a brilliant 15, but it was interesting to see him utilised in his second playmaker role. It's very similar to how Smith and Brown interchange at Harlequins and it allows Smith that fraction of a second longer on the ball than he might get at first receiver. That offers him the chance to attack in a less congested area of the pitch and also utilises his fantastic pass to get the ball wider quicker. When Smith did slide into 10, he looked to fix the first defender before playing the pass and that didn't always lend itself to the unfamiliarity of the England squad. We saw England move the ball very quickly to the far edge of the defence, just simple, straight running, quick hands to hold the defence and eat up the yards, drawn pass, drawn pass, to move the ball to the 15 metre channel where the wingers then tried to beat their man and then worked hard to set the ruck. 
that meant the Barbarians' defence was constantly having to chase to the ruck and then fill the field with defenders left over. That might sound obvious, but if you think a midfield ruck allows that defence to build solidly either side of the ruck, limiting the space in the middle. This simple, quick attack drags that solid entity to the edge of the pitch and gives the teams a lot more space to attack in or attack through. We're seeing a lot of this at the uh, Premiership level and Super Rugby, this edge-to-edge attack, especially off a turnover ball, dragging the defenders away and out before then using their screens to try and get on the outside edge as they come back against an unsettled defence. Some of that is uh, due to the fact that teams are now much, much better at defending turnover ball. So you have to move them away from the point of, uh, from the initial point of the turnover to try and make that group of players move. In large, it didn't quite work out for England yesterday, but it's a pattern we've seen nearly all of the Premiership tips running this year. And it makes sense that England decided to build on top of that. I think it would be interesting to see how this England 15 would have been able to build on this game and it's massively frustrating there's no Saxons fixtures outside of this yearly money spinner. I'd love to see a Churchill Cup style competition return but with the America's Rugby Championship I think it's unlikely to ever re-emerge. I'd like to see a European equivalent with Georgia and other T2 nations but again it's difficult to see where this would fit into the calendar and I think with England's financial issues the possibility is really unlikely. And I think that's a massive shame as I'd love to see some of these combinations given time to build. We saw them try a few times to just get things going off the cuff and often it was the right option but just they couldn't just quite nail the timing and I think a couple more games that understanding will start to click. So like Curry and Smith and Stook and Dunn, they would benefit with more time around Mitchell at nine. Hammersley and Williams would with Marchant who seems to be one of those players who's a perfect answer for all of the England's backline problems but never seems to come up in the conversation or featuring mentions until he's actually playing. So ultimately as an attacking side I think England showed some genuine promise. Able to take chances as soon as they arose, managed to keep the noses in front of the Barbarians and managed to play some decent attacking rugby without ever being sucked into the Barbarian style of fling it at all costs no matter what the risk, which I think made it a far more compelling game due to the two differing approaches. Another thing that caught my eye from an England point of view was how well some of the young England players read the game and the Barbarian players. Dom Vance's two tries were perfect examples. Mitchell snatches the ball out of the air and Dom Vance's reaction is immediate and gets on the shoulder to score. Likewise, Smith and Curry read a poor Brock James' pass. Curry smashes Piertau and Smith reads the offload to the degree it looks like Piertau is passing specifically to him. Defensively as well, it was an interesting game. Stats-wise, the game showed no significant drop-off in things like tackle counts. England returned an 82% tackle percentage and the Barbarians returning a 74% tackle stat. As with attack, we saw England struggle to find their rhythm. Early on, we saw some players sitting back whilst others pushed, allowing the Barbarians to get into some gaps. Later in the game, Piatel read the England defence perfectly to drift outside Beaumont and inside Stook to set up the Atkins try. That all stemmed from England not being united on the initial push, Stook rushing to catch up and subsequently not being a having... You know, subsequently not having the visibility to stop his run until he'd overshot. But I think once they'd settled, they managed to contain the Barbarians' dangerous players for the most part. And I know that statement seems at odds when you've got a team that scored seven tries, but pretty much all of them, bar a low try, were moments in the game. With little to any build-up, classic Barbarian support running, and I think ultimately those seven tries probably don't reflect the defensive effort by England. Likewise for the Barbarians, tries conceded and mistakes made don't reflect the contribution to the game. I think the 13 tries probably reflect more that incoherent nature of the two teams. We have to look through that to see the real gems. Right, that's it for this week. 
let me know what you think about the Barbarians game in the comments, either here below or on Twitter or on Facebook uh, at the Deadpool area. There'll also be an article with some supporting video on the website around much of this that I've talked about here, so do drop over there and have a look. I'll post the link in the description below. Um, there just wasn't really enough worthwhile video to make a good analysis video, so hence I've just done podcast format with a supporting written article. Okay, that's it. Thanks for listening. Take care until next time. Don't forget you can catch me on Facebook and Twitter and supporting articles over on the website for deadballarea.com. Cheers.